kindergarten through fourth grade. And I've served all different ages um, over the last few years, but currently um, I'm serving kindergarten, first and second graders. So your kids are teenagers now, um, quite big actually, and, uh, and um, they've had a chance to serve with you. So tell us why you've continued to serve in this area, even though sometimes people serve because their kids are there. So even though your kids have outgrown that, why have you continued? Um, well, the quick, easy answer that comes to mind is I love kids. Um, I just enjoy being with them. Um, I had shared first service when I was younger, like even before my teen years. After church was over, I would rush to the new moms and say, can I hold your baby? Um, I babysat a lot, um, younger neighbors, whatever, but I've just always enjoyed kids and their excitement and um, their energy. So that's something that's clearly a love for you, and this is a chance where you get to um, express that involved, being involved with these kids. So what's the biggest challenge that you face in serving with our kids in, in Studio 252? Um, well, kind of going off their excitement and their energy, um, just having time. I, I enjoy getting to know little details about their lives. Um, and sometimes when you're serving, like with kindergartners, you know, their minds off, you're talking to them about self-control and they're talking about their Christmas gift from three years ago or whatever. It's like, <laughs> focus, focus. But, um, but I do, um, I do find that that's a challenge, just the, the time with them. And it seems like you, uh, you pay attention to these kids and kind of know what's going on in their lives. And so to continue to be able to engage them. That, that's one of the challenges you're faced with at the limited time window. So what's the thing that brings you the most joy as you get a chance to serve with these kids? Um, well, there's a lot of joys. Of course, I'm working with uh, kids that I mentioned. I enjoy that. Um, I've enjoyed serving with my kids. Ethan, my son, was my small group helper for about three years, and currently Olivia's helping me out, so that's fun. Um, and also just seeing uh, where these kids what they get to do and serve um, at Christmas time, the 56ers, um, those kids helped by serving the younger kids in Studio 252 just with fun activities. And it was neat for me to see students that used to be in my small group um, were now serving as a 56er. And I had said it's, they're not my kids, but it's almost like a proud mom moment, like, oh, that person was in my small group. And so I enjoy seeing them serve here too. One of the things I love watching and hearing stories about Allison is just her love for the kids. And just, I was out in the lobby and watching her. She wasn't up there today because she's in here, but watching her down on her hands and knees as these kids come to her and just kind of embracing them and kind of sharing with them and reconnecting with them, even in that setting. And um, so, Allison, thank you very much for sharing with us um, about your love for kids. And thank you for serving um, our kids here at CCC so faithfully. So, would you thank her for serving this morning? So, thanks, Allison. Appreciate you sharing. If you have an interest in uh, serving in our kids' area, um, the person that you can talk to is um, Alicia Miklas. Where's Alicia? Put your hand up, Alicia. Where is she? Where? Oh, over there. Oh, there you are. Okay, I was looking over here. So would you stand up, please? Alicia is our, our new uh, kids' ministry director. She'll be starting this summer. Um, and so you can contact her if you're interested in serving in our kids' ministry. If you have an interest in serving in another area at CCC, we encourage you to, to go to our website. You can see in the QR code in the program, and it'll take you right to a form. Check a few boxes of something you have an interest in, and um, some, one of our staff will get back in touch with you and arrange an opportunity to talk with you about how to get plugged in in serving and using your gifts and abilities to make a difference. So what makes a good leader? What makes a good leader? Um, is it simply an education? Is that what makes a good leader? You know, we're in graduation season, so uh, there is uh, lots of graduations happening. This past weekend, graduations were happening. Next weekend, graduations are happening. Does simply graduating make you a good leader? Um, what about just working your way to the top of the ranks? Maybe one time you were sitting around the table or you were in a cube and now you're at the head of the table. Does it working your way up through the ranks, does that make you a good leader? Um, maybe you're someone with a lot of charisma. You know, maybe you're someone that grabs the attention and grabs the focus, you know, like Richard Branson, and you just get people's attention. And Does that make a good leader? Or maybe you're just the right person that came along at the right time with the right idea like this guy did, and that makes you a good 
leader. What makes a good leader? You know, for most of you, you work in a job and you have the boss and, and your boss says you have to do this and you don't have a choice whether or not you, get the, you have to do what he says because if you decide you don't want to, you leave the job or you get fired. And you... But would you follow your boss at work if you didn't get paid to do that? Take a moment and think about that. Would you follow them at work if you didn't get paid to do that? You know? And so as you think about that, run these same filter of things through that. You know, is it simply education that makes a good boss? Is it simply move to the top of the ladder that makes them a good boss? Is it simply charisma or being the right person at the right place that makes them a good leader? Well, this morning we're going to look at the subject of leadership. And if you have a Bible, if you would turn to 1 Timothy 3, that's where we're going to be this morning. 1 Timothy 3, it's actually page 961 in the Bibles there in your seats, page 961. And we're spending time looking at the story um, in a different way of a church in the first century, a church in the city of Ephesus. And in this church in the city of Ephesus, um, Paul, who started this church, was sending one of his protégés, Timothy, back to help out in the church. And as he's sending him back to help out in the church, he is writing about things that Timothy is encountering. And one of the issues that he had was an issue of leadership. We started the first week by looking at uh, the goal that Paul wanted these, this church to pay attention to. And the goal of his command is love. He wanted them to love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. And he also wanted them to pay attention to the gospel. And that's the grace of our Lord that was poured out abundantly, which Paul experienced. He said, this is what the church should pay attention to. And then last week, if you weren't here with us, we had a great uh, panel up front here with me of ladies who helped explore some very difficult passages of Scripture in 1 Timothy 2. And just kind of wrestled with these words that upon initially reading them make you go, ah, I'm not sure I like what is being said but they paid attention to them and they were willing to wrestle with them and say, you know, there is something that God has to say here for us. And, and it's not so much an issue of, um, of me getting attention and me getting my rights in my way as much as it is my heart being open to God and my heart being willing to hear what God has to say and being attentive to that. And so Paul jumps this week into the subject of leadership. And if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, just to take and back the story up a little bit, Paul had spent three years in the city of Ephesus teaching these people about God, about the truth of the gospel, about following Jesus, about what all that meant. And then it was time for him to move on, time for him to leave. And as it's time for him to move on and time for him to leave, he writes to them and he says, I'm really concerned about what's going to happen. So he says, pay attention. There's some people that might come in and might turn your attention away from what really is important, away from God. And uh, Paul says this to a group of individuals called the elders. Now the term elder was a term that was pretty common in the Jewish community. Um, it was a respected senior leader. In every little Jewish town all over the land of Israel, there's these individuals called elders. And the elders were the senior members, senior male members of the community. And they would sit around at a place called the city gates, and if you needed wisdom or advice or counsel on a matter, or you were in a dispute and you needed someone to decide, you didn't go to a judge, you went to the city elders. That's who you would go to. You know? In our context today, it would be like going into Weaver's Restaurant. You know, Any day of the week, you find a group of older guys sitting there shooting the breeze about something. I don't know what they're shooting the breeze about, but um, that's kind of what it was like. And so the term elder was a term that was well known in the Jewish community. But there was another term that Paul used... And that was this term, that was the term of a bishop or an overseer. And in the Greek community, an overseer was like the people in charge of the, the local government or public works. They were like managers who made sure that the community ran effectively. That's what their role was. And the last group of individuals that Paul references is a shepherd. And a shepherd, it's also the same word used for pastor, and it's a caregiver of the flock. And so in Acts 20, as Paul's talking to this group that he spent three years with, he's about to leave. Look at what Paul says. He says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. So he said, I want all the elders to gather around. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the bishops. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. You say, John, why'd you take us all the way back to Acts 20 and show us that verse? Because... 
what we believe here at CCC is that these three terms describe the same role. We divide them up between elder and pastor, but that elder and bishop and the, and the shepherd or the pastor, they all describe the same, the same group of individuals in the context of the church. And that's what I believe Paul is writing to and talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's go to that. And so Paul starts out in 1 Timothy chapter 3 by saying this. Here's a trustworthy statement. Whoever aspires to be an overseer or there's the word bishop, or we would say a pastor or an elder, desires a noble task. And this morning, we're going to look at the characteristics of a leader. The characteristics of a leader, or as we would say, an elder or a pastor. And you say, well, John, that's not really true of me, and I'm not really in that role, so does this really apply to me? Well, I think that it does. I think that it does. And I hope you'll see that as our, as, you, as our time goes on this morning. But I would encourage you, if you're visiting CCC and you're trying to decide if this is the church for you, that you ask some people who go here regularly, is this, is this stuff that we're talking about, is this true of our leaders? Is this true of our leaders? Because if you're visiting a church, you're considering going to a church, and this isn't true of them, then you probably should find some other place to go. And so Paul starts off by saying, whoever aspires to this, aspires to this role... They aspire to a good thing. Now, in our church, we actually have two groups of elders. We have what's called vocational elders, and we call them pastors. That means they get paid for their job, which is right now it's Tim and Johnny and myself. And then we have non-vocational elders, which these are individuals that meet the same qualifications. They simply have chosen a different career path. And we're all considered here at CCC elders. You might wonder, John, did you always want to be a pastor? And I, I really didn't. I really didn't. Um, many of you know I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad still serves as a pastor today and has for, I think, my goodness, nearly 50 years now. And um, in the early years when I was a kid growing up, um, my dad wasn't around a lot. He was pretty consumed with the church. Um, you know, one of the things that happens when you grow up in that home of a pastor is you kind of hear all the the good, bad, and ugly of things that happen in church life and in people's struggles. And I thought, man, that's a lot of work. I don't know if I want to do that job. And um, I kind of decided I didn't want anything to do with that. I had a grandfather who was a civil engineer, designed things for the Army in the 60s. I thought, I want to build things. I want to make things. I want to be an architect. Maybe that's what I want to do. And, and that's where, where I was focused. And in my teenage years, God kind of grabbed a hold of my heart and turned my heart a different direction and said, no, John, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do this. And he, he really placed in my heart a desire to do that. And, and it's hard because sometimes in the church we have kind of this um, perception that we shouldn't desire or pursue great things. So it's kind of proud or arrogant. But God never really says that. I mean, Jesus said, if you want to be great, be what? A servant, right? Jesus didn't say, don't not want to be great. You know, Jesus didn't say desire to be second class or desire to be less than. No, Jesus said if that's what your desire is, if God places in you this burden to do something significant, something great, then be a servant. That's the best way to do it. And here, he's, Paul says, almost echoes that. He says if God gives you a desire to serve in this way, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, not everybody desires it. Not everybody desires it. And we at CCC don't want anybody serving in this role because their arm felt twisted or they felt forced into it. Um, but the truth is, um, the truth is we think everybody should aspire to the characteristics that we're going to talk about this morning. Everyone should. You know, one of the coolest things that happens at CCC every year is um, we, have, we have a group of men, and I'm going to explain that in, a little bit later in the service, who serve as part of our elder team as a formal part of our elder team. And so our members every year nominate or recommend people that they think meet these qualifications that should be a part of that team. And, and every year, um, our elder team leader, who this year is Greg, he goes to those individuals, and there's a group of those individuals who say, thank you for nominating me, but I'm very content serving where I'm, where I'm at. I love what I'm doing. Thanks for letting me know that people recognize that in me. They don't have the desire. They don't have the desire. Nothing wrong with that, but it's cool that their lives have the character of a leader. 
but they're very content where they are serving God at this present time. And so for both groups of leaders, Paul's going to talk about two different groups of leaders. Um, For both of these groups of leaders, he has one phrase that's kind of an overarching phrase, and he says, I want them to be above reproach. Above reproach. Now, usually um, what comes first in a list is the most important. And so probably this is the most important thing in this list. He says above reproach. What does above reproach mean? Above reproach is the idea of someone who's blameless. It's not the idea of someone who's perfect. It's not the idea of someone who's faultless. But it's the idea of someone who's willing to do something about the stuff in their lives. So what do you mean by that, John? Well, someone that meets these qualifications, someone that serves in this capacity as an elder or pastor, it doesn't mean that they're without sin, but it means if someone points something out to them, that they're willing to look in the mirror. It means that if their spouse says, hey, this is something I think you ought to pay attention to, they don't just blow them off or say, yeah, I will and never get to it. It means they dealt with the skeletons in their closet. I heard one person describe it in this way. It's like trying to, it's like trying to pin something to a greased pig. What's it going to do? It's going to do what? Slide right off. And they said that's the character of what leadership should be like in the local church. Now, what I'm not suggesting is that leaders in the church should be slippery and elusive um, or smelly. I'm not suggesting that at all. Um, but what I am saying is that if you, if you try to say, well, I think this person's like that, it just slides right off because they either own it and say, you know, you're right, that's something I need to give attention to, or there's evidence by others that say that's not really true of them, you're kind of not seeing it accurately, um, and it just slides right off. It just slides right off. And so Paul says that this should be true of your life. This should be true of our character. He's going to, see, he's going to say over and over again, and we're going to see this numerous times, he's going to say this should be someone whose life and reputation other people can validate and other people can see. So let's look at the ways he says to be above reproach. The first one he says is he says, I want them to be faithful to their wife, faithful to their wife. And this has often been explained as being a one-woman man, a one-woman man. And so there's some things it's obvious that it is. The first thing it's obvious, it's not married to more than one wife. It's maybe somewhat obvious this is not married to one woman and flirting with other women. Um, and say, John, what about someone who's not married? Could they serve in this role? Maybe. Um, what about someone who spouse passes away and they got remarried? Could that person serve in this role? Likely. What about someone who is remarried after divorce? And I would say probably not likely. And you might say, why not? Why not? Because in this area, Paul, in spite of the fact that he allows for divorce and remarriage in a lot of other situations, says in this role, I want these individuals to be devoted to one woman for a lifetime. That's what Paul seems to indicate here. I don't believe what Paul's saying is designed to be uh, demeaning or limiting to women, but I think what Paul is saying is men, step up to the challenge that is in front of you. Step up to the challenge that's in front of you. He goes on to describe this above reproach or this blameless way of life. He says they're also someone who's temperate. Temperate. That's someone with balanced judgment. They don't go off half-cocked one direction or another. There's kind of a a sober-mindedness in the way that they think about things. Another thing he says is that they're self-controlled. And that someone who manages their impulses or their desires controls their emotions. It's not someone that doesn't have emotions or emotionless. That's not what Paul's suggesting. He's actually saying the complete opposite. Because I think if I think someone that's a healthy person, when there's sadness, they shed tears. When there's joy, they get excited. When there's something injustice, they get mad and angry and they do something about it. They don't just walk away and ignore it. But Paul says you manage that and you control that in a way that you express it appropriately no matter what it is that's taking place. Next thing he says is that they're respectable. It's a person you, look, you would honor Probably a person you would look up to. Say, this is a person I want to I follow. Another characteristic of them is they're hospitable. Hospitable. In that culture, in that day, there weren't hotels. And so if there were people traveling through, it would not be uncommon for someone to knock on your door and say, can I stay with you tonight? 
the idea of hospitable is a lover of strangers. Sure, come on in. I've got a space for you. You think, oh my goodness, I could never imagine doing that today. Well, that's not today. That was back then. So what does this mean today? Well, I think what Paul's referring to today is he's probably referring to someone who is open and generous with their things. In that day, it was their home. I think for us today, it's with all of the things that God has blessed us with. Here's another one, that there's some skill in teaching. They're able to teach. Does that mean that they stand up in front like I do? No, we don't think that that's the requirement. What does that mean? Well, we think it means they have some skill and capacity in explaining things to other people. What what does a teacher do? A teacher takes a concept that may be difficult, hard to understand, and they make it understandable. They make it so you walk out of the room and you get it. That's what an effective teacher does. But it might not necessarily be a teacher in front of a whole room. It might just be you one-on-one having a conversation and you saying to them, I don't really understand this. or I don't, Can you explain this to me, something from the Bible? And they explain it to you and you get it. That's what this role is all about. He goes on the next verse to give a couple of more. He says, not given to drunkenness. This is really speaking to the issue of control. And then he talks about what happens when Um, things are out of control. In the next phrase, he says, not violent. Excessive drinking often leads to violence. But it's not just violence because of excessive drinking. I think he's speaking to the issue of men are strength, the strength that God has placed in us. That's part of God's character for every man in this room that God has placed in you. His image in you is strength. And God says, I've given you this strength so that you can make a difference for me in this world, so that you can protect and provide the people that you love. Not misuse that strength with your physical presence to intimidate someone, or your words to overpower a spouse or a child or a teenager. Paul says, This should be someone who's not violent, but he uses a contrast. He says gentle, gentle. And Paul's not talking about being a pushover, but he's talking about someone who's tolerant, who is patient, who tries multiple ways to navigate a difficult situation. I found myself in one of those, I think it was last week, I was on a a phone call with uh, the insurance company. And... um, I was asking for some information uh, simply about the policy that I am the primary holder of this policy and the primary one paying for this policy. And I was asking for some information about someone in my family who just happens to be over the age of 18. And because they're over the age of 18, I was told that it is against federal law for them to tell me information just about the policy that um, I have paid for and that I'm the primary one holding this. And so I tried to ask a different way, and I got the same response. I tried to ask a different way and the same I think I tried ten different ways to ask about getting this information, um, and I could feel it churning inside of me, and I was trying to do my best just to be kind and gracious in the course of that conversation. Um, But I was not a very happy camper when I got off the phone as my wife was sitting there listening to this whole thing unfold. Um, and what I proceeded to do is call back 10 minutes later, get a different customer service representative, and they told me everything I wanted to know. So I don't know who was right and who was wrong. I really have no idea. I just got the information. But the point was that it was a tough situation, and it was a tough situation where I had to try to find a solution and not be combative and recognize that this person on the other side of the line, even if I didn't like what they were saying to me, was just trying to do their job. And that's really what Paul's talking about here. And he references that in the next phrase, someone who's not quarrelsome. doesn't mean that it's not someone who doesn't disagree. A person of character and a person of integrity, you should have your own opinions. You should have your own perspectives. But how do you bring them to the table? And how do you engage others with them? One of the things that's, uh, one of the, the saddest things for me is when a pastor leaves a church and someone has to be brought in to try to reconcile the bad blood and the problems that have bubbled up in his time that he's been there. And I recognize there's a lot of factors that go into that. I, I certainly see that. But, but God says that men that lead should be in these roles um, in which they are not combative, in which they're not creating undue conflict, 
They have strong opinions and they present those and they engage those and they dialogue about those. But they come to a place at the end of the day where they're in agreement with them. It's one of the things I love about our staff meetings and I love about our elder team meetings. They're kind of boring meetings if we don't have a disagreement somewhere along the way. But we voice those and we communicate those and we say them with intensity and passion and belief. And yet at the end of the time that we say, now where are we, where are we all at on this? And we're walking out that door as men and brothers arm in arm go in the same direction. And that's what Paul says should be true of the leaders in the local church. He ends this section by saying, not a lover of money. Not destitute, but just what matters most. People or money? People or money? People or money? And so really what Paul's saying here is he's saying the leaders in the local church, um, the leaders in the local church, the top level leaders should be men of blameless character. Men of blameless character. Um, he then goes on to shift direction in the next verse, and he says this. He says he must manage his own family well. And that word manage is the idea of kind of the, the one making sure the operations are going well. In, in that culture, it would not have been uncommon for someone not only to, to have their own family, but likely parents and grandparents under the same extended roof, a little bit like some of the, the Amish communities do today, um, but also even slaves that might work for you, they would have their own place where they would live and they would work. And so you were responsible to oversee all of that. He said a leader in the church should be able to do that as well. He also says that their children should obey him. Obey him. And I would say this is children that are um, probably under the age of 13 where you know, dad says or mom says this is what you're supposed to do and they need to do it. But then he says he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. And I think this speaks to kids who are a little bit older. Because as your kids move through the past into the teenage years, you learn, you make that shift over time from obedience to respect. From obedience to respect. Where they do the things not because dad or mom says you have to do it, but because they respect you and they're willing to do it even if they disagree. A statement that I've held, grabbed hold of recently uh, from Andy Stanley is this, as a, as a purpose and a goal in parenting, is that um, the goal, your goal in parenting should be that when your kids don't have to come home, they still choose to come home. And that means it's a safe place for them and a place where they feel honored and respected. It's ironic to me that Paul says, I want the leaders of the church not to be individuals who have the best business strategy, the best business accomplishments, but he says, I want them to be men of relational capacity. And the truth is, guys, if we're all honest, we all feel a little bit deficient behind the eight ball in this area. It's just not our strength. We're great at getting things done. We're great at managing a team. We're great at accomplishing a goal. We're great at moving something forward. But to solve a relational problem and sit in the messiness of that, it's hard. It's hard. And for me to do that at home is the hardest place, even though I do it much of my life. And Paul says, you've got to learn from others. If this is not your strength, if you're not good at this, you have to, and you probably have someone sitting next to you or living in the same home as you do, who's probably very good at it. So take some lessons. Because if you want to lead, if you want to become the man that God wants you to be, you need to develop this relational skill with the people that are in your home. So the top level leaders have to be men who love and lead their homes well. Who love and lead their homes well. He then says, if anyone doesn't know how to do this in their own home, they shouldn't do it in the church. They shouldn't do it in the church. He then goes on to say, they shouldn't be a recent convert or they could become conceited. And then he says, um, oops, there's that verse, he must have a good reputation with outsiders. And I think what Paul's pointing to is that the top-level leaders have to be people of proven character inside and outside the church. Anybody can put on a facade here. When you walk in, you look good, small group, serving, you can make it look good here. But what about at home when the doors get shut? And what about in the community when you're dealing with business partners, and employees, and employers, 
and people that you serve in the community? What's your reputation and what's your character there? And so when we're looking to hire someone to become part of our pastoral team or to join our elder team, we don't just ask them, what's true about you? We say, we're going to have a conversation with your spouse. Do they see this in you? And by the way, we'd like to talk to a couple business associates and find out what do they say is true about you. Because we believe that those are the individuals that God calls to lead. I want to invite a couple of our elders to join me here on stage and, and just talk about looking at these passages. So, um, Bob and Kurt, come on up and join, join me on stage. A couple of our guys are uh, not available. We gave them the time off. Uh, Glenn, one of our elders, is running the Broad Street Run in Philly with his uh, daughters this morning after running the Boston Marathon a few weeks ago. God bless him. He never stops. Um, and... Uh, um, Greg, who was here probably till very, very late last night, uh, cleaning up after his daughter's wedding, uh, and so gave those guys a pass this morning, but asked Kurt and Bob if they would just join me on stage and, and just talk a little bit uh, about these characteristics and just the role that they serve. Um, Bob and Kurt are part of our elder team, and I'll explain how that team works in the context of our whole church a little bit later. But um, guys, as you heard this list of characteristics and uh, just kind of revisited them again. What stood out to you the most? I'll let you start on this one, Bob. Well, other than the fact that it's rather overwhelming when you look at them as a group, uh, you do have some doubts, am I really qualified to, to fulfill this position? But I think for me, the one that stuck out the most was, in your translation, the first verse said, aspire to be an elder. And I think most of us would translate that into want to be an elder. And uh, over the years, there's been various times where, uh, depending on the life of the church, where I've thought, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be a part of that team. But also, having been part of that team, there's a big part on me that realizes there's a heaviness or a great weight when you are part of that team. Uh, whether it's a big decision being made for the church or helping people through their struggles or a marriage that isn't going well, when you're on the elder team, you, you definitely feel a different burden and a different level of heaviness and sometimes I can struggle with do I really want to jump back into that or would I rather just sit there every Sunday and move on and I appreciate that so much about these guys um, that they share the weight of ministry with our staff and, and most of you don't know that most of you just see you know the three of us Johnny and Tim and I and you know we kind of have that responsibility but these guys live with the weight of uh, the ministry here, and uh, greatly, greatly appreciate that. How about you, Kurt? What was challenging for you just looking at that list? Well, in this list, you know, it's as Christian men, I think it's things that we all need to um, try to have as part of our lives. So um, a lot of them aren't that challenging, and they, they can be challenging at different stages in life um, with uh, our family, we had uh, four children, three three oldest were boys. They were all going to be teenagers at the same time for a couple of years. And so that presents its own set of, of challenges. And uh, so that was... So oh, you're saying great. girls are easier? Well, she's, she's easier than <laughs> what the boys were, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, and it's a team effort between my wife and I, yeah. um, but, you know, the balance between um, you're doing it this way and, and still lo uh, love and, and gain respect for them. You know, now my boys yeah. are all in their 20s. They're all married or getting married, and, and you know, we're very happy uh, very proud of them, the way they turned out. Yeah, I appreciate both of you guys sharing those those struggles because I think that's different for each of us, you know, that we each walk through and we each face. And I appreciate your willingness to, you know, have the courage to share that. I think for me, as I read down through the list, the one that stood out to me um, was the uh, one of the very early ones when he talks about being faithful to your wife. And not for me in terms of, you know, uh, my uh, physical relationship with Christine, but the fact that one of my struggles is I can easily get preoccupied. And, and you've probably heard, uh, you know, of a guy, they talk about a guy whose his job is his mistress, you know, or his hobby or, you know, hunting or whatever that thing is. And so that's really the struggle for me is to not be consumed 
with all the other cares and concerns and not let my wife know that she's the most important, the most valued and treasured thing, you know, person for me um, in this world. Um, so as you guys think about your role as elders, um, Bob, you've been a part of our team now for, we're saying, kind of 10 to 12 years with a little bit of break there um, in between. Um, what stands out to you as, as what's been the most challenging in this role? I guess the fact that, uh, you know, when I look at myself, I'm a very ordinary guy. I'm not a Bible scholar. I go to my job every day. I'm a father. I'm a husband. But as I look at the, the things that have gone on in the last four years, uh, the, the tremendous growth, the opportunities, uh, the buying the property, redoing the building, it, it's just amazing to me that God was able to take a very ordinary guy and allow him to be part of something so much bigger than anything I could have ever done on my own. And uh, I suspect there's a lot of guys sitting in the audience right now that God has the same plan for in the future. Thanks, Bob. How about you, Kurt? Kurt's new to our team this year, so what's kind of stood out to you? Well, um, coming into the, the team, I'm not sure what what to expect. I have my own perceptions, that type of thing. One, one thing that we, the elder team and the, the staff do is we go on a retreat together every year, and uh, it's in February. You know, I wasn't looking forward to that, but it's... <laughs> It's February. There's not much to do anyway, so <laughs> suck it up and go. Um, so I went and I tried torture. to go with a, you know, a good attitude. Um, I was saying earlier, uh, Tim or uh, Johnny is the one that I knew the the least on uh, out of the group of guys. So um, I ignored the warnings and I decided that I'm going to share a room with Johnny. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we, the other guys wouldn't even sleep on the same floor as we would. So, but anyways, um, uh, and that was a good time for Johnny and I to get to know each other a little bit better. And, and that weekend, um, the guys worked together. We we're kind of on the same page, um, talk about future plans, uh, for the church and, um, those type of things. And, and the other thing that, uh, I look forward to every week as um, we, one of our jobs is to uh, pray for the congregation. And um, there's little cards that you fill out, and if you fill out prayer requests on your connection card, um, those prayer requests come to us. And I look forward to that list every week. And and even though I may not be able to put the face to the name, mm-hmm. um it still it keeps us connected with the congregation and what's going on in your lives, and um, it's encouraging for me to to pray through those requests. Would you guys thank Bob and Kurt for sharing a little bit of that with us this morning? So, thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kurt. Appreciate it. You know, Kurt talked a little bit about our elder team's role, and one of their primary roles is to pray for our church. You know, whether it's a specific request you submit, whether it's just the church in general, the people that they know, um, and they do that faithfully. Uh, another role that they have is they're really my boss. They oversee me. And so I report to them. I'm uh, uh, evaluated by them on an annual basis, and that's another role that they play. Um, the other main areas they play, we call them the three Ds, direction. Heard Kurt talk about us getting away and praying and saying, God, we want your will for our church. And so we pray about that and we work towards that together. Another one is doctrine or what we believe, and um, we talk about that regularly. We evaluate difficult uh, cultural issues and what does the Scripture say about them. And then the last is the area of discipline. If we have a, a church member who walks away from God and drifts away in their faith, our elders are engaged in trying to bring them back uh, to uh, redirect their lives back to follow God. And so um, these men are a part of that, and they're often the unseen component in the life of our church as they serve in this way. There's a second group that Paul talks about that I want us to wrap up by looking at in the, this section of uh, 1 Timothy. Um, if you look there in uh, verse 8, and it's called deacons. And I want to talk a little bit about the role of a deacon. The role of a deacon was first showed up really in the book of Acts, not by title but by responsibility. Because, uh, um, and what was happening in the book of Acts is there was thousands of people that had come to follow Jesus thousands and they overwhelmed this little church this little community of a hundred people they overwhelmed them and the apostles were saying how can we pray how can we study the scriptures how can we teach and there's some there's some grecian women who had lost their husband they were widows and they were starving they weren't getting fed how can we take care of them as well 
And the leaders of the church said, let's find some men who are full of wisdom and discernment, and they clearly have God's Spirit on them, and let's invite them in to help us share this responsibility. That role was later formalized in the life of the church, and they were called deacons. And the word deacon simply means to serve. That's what that word means, to serve, diakonos. And it's the idea of, of a waiter, your waiter or waitress who comes to the table, would you like anything else? Is there anything I can do? Is there any way I can make your meal more enjoyable? Um, they're also recognized as someone who's kind of an assistant to the supervisor. There's someone that serves underneath of someone else to help accomplish and get things done. And so this term is used in the book of Philippians and Romans and now in 1 Timothy 3. So let's just take a, a look at this. So... He says there in 1 Timothy 3, um, verse 8, he says, In the same way deacons are to be worthy of respect. That's the first qualification that he lists there. These are supposed to be individuals of great character. Uh, sincere. They're not supposed to say one thing and do another. They're supposed to, what they say is what they're going to do. And then just like the elders, he says, not indulging in much wine. There's a level of self-control. And then not pursuing dishonest gain. Meaning they're people of integrity. They're people of character and he goes on then to say in the next verse uh, verse 9 he says they must hold hold to the deep truths of faith with their confidence they must first be tested and if nothing against them let them serve again he said they wanted to be people of character men of character and men of faith and if that's true of them if you recognize that in them then have them serve in this capacity um Paul then shifts gears a little bit because he says, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy and everything. Who's Paul talking about here? It's for many years often been taught that these are the wives of the deacons. Some churches have a, an official title called a deaconess and they have responsibilities. But that doesn't seem to fit real well here because why would Paul put requirements for the wives of this role, a lesser role, and no requirements for the wives of the elders. And what I think that this might be is I think Paul might be referring to women who lead as well as men who lead in these roles. Because we talked about last week, if you weren't here with us, I encourage you to go on the website and listen to the podcast, but we talked about the tension of women trying to find their place in the church, where they have gifts and abilities and skills but how do they find the best place for them to serve? And I think here Paul talks about the character of these individuals and what that character should be like. He says, just like the men, they should be worthy of respect. He adds a different one. He says, not malicious talkers. He cautions the women in leadership to be careful about how they use their words. Their words are powerful, and their words can be harmful, and to be careful how they're used. He uses the word temperate, the word he used before about balanced and thinking, and someone who's trustworthy in all things. He then kind of jumps back and says, a deacon must be faithful to his wife, um, similar to what he said about the elder, and then must manage his children and his household well. And the result is that those who've served well, they gain what? An excellent standing. That's talking about their reputation, their credibility. And lastly, they have confidence in their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I think what Paul is saying here is he's saying every leader in the church is to be a person of high moral character and of faith. High moral character and a person of deep convicting faith. So what does that look like here for us at CCC? Well, we've really gone through this um, evolution of what leadership looks like. And as we've wrestled with the truth of what God says, one of the things that is unmistakable is the character of a leader. The character of a leader. But what we discovered is that over time as the church has grown and changed, the format or the structure of what leadership looks like has changed. When the church started early on, it was just me. I was the only person here. I was the pastor. And we realized early on there should be some individuals to assist the pastor. And so we brought on some individuals to serve as deacons. And then we realized as our church started to grow, we needed some individuals to help shepherd and care for the people. And so um, invited a few individuals to step in and serve as small group leaders. So now we had pastors and, and deacons and small group leaders. 
And the deacon said, we'll take care of making the church life happen, but you need a few people, John, to meet with you to figure out this overall direction thing. And so we started what we called at that time a leadership team, just tapped a few people on the shoulder, said, would you be part of this team? Eventually, that team became our elders. And in time, our elders went from me leading them to them leading me and me stepping underneath of their oversight and their authority. As our church continued to grow, um, we added not only small group leaders, but then we added ministry leaders, men and women who oversaw large portions of our ministry. And in time, those individuals also, we added ministry directors and have started to add small group coaches just to manage the number of people. And you say, so what happened to the role of the deacon in the life of our church? Well, really what happened is that role eventually got phased out because what we realized is the ministry leaders, the small group leaders, the ministry directors, they were doing all of those same things and it was a large umbrella covering all of them. So what we say here at CCC is all of those ministry leaders need to meet these qualifications of character and of faith. The qualifications of character and of faith. And they function in the same capacity um, that the deacons did in the early church and in our church at a different season and time. And so for us here at CCC, we have a lot of ministry leaders. We have a lot of small group leaders that serve here. If you are a small group leader in kids' ministry, in student ministry, with adults, would you stand? If you are a small group leader, would you stand? Anybody, kids, students, ministry leaders, would you stand? Okay, stay standing. Now, if you're a ministry leader in our kids' ministry, in our worship ministry, anywhere in our ministry, would you stand? If you're a ministry leader, you stand too. Ministry leaders stand. Okay, look around this room. Look at the number of people who are standing. These are all people that lead areas of ministry in the life of our church. These are all people that shepherd individuals in the life of our church. Would you thank them for the amazing work that they do? Thank you all. Thank you all. We could not do ministry effectively at CCC if it wasn't for all of you. Um, we couldn't make what happens on a Sunday morning happen if it wasn't for all of you. Um, we could not shepherd and care for and let people know that they're valued and loved if it wasn't for all of you. And um, one of the things that I would ask um, everyone in our church to do is this. I would ask everyone in our church to, um, this is just the structure that we talked about, elders, pastors, and ministry leaders, um, and the way that's laid out. But um, would you pray for those who lead? Would you pray for those who lead? Um, when a leader stumbles and falls... There's a wake behind them. And we sometimes lose sight of the fact that what Satan would like most is to make a leader stumble and fall. To make a pastor stumble and fall. A small group leader. A ministry director. An elder. And so, would you pray for them? That God would protect them? That they would continue to be men and women of character and men and women of faith? Second of all, as we've looked down this list, um, what has stood out to you as an area that needs to grow in your life, in your character, regardless of you're a man or a woman? Because all these things that are talked about, they should be true of all of us, all of us, not just our leaders. I want to challenge you to ask two or three people in your life, what do I need to work on? If you have teenagers or young adults I dare you to ask them, because they'll tell you. Even if you don't ask them, they'll tell you what you need to work on. Um, but have the courage to say, I want to be a man, I want to be a woman of character and of faith, and model that commitment to that for them. And then lastly, if you have a desire to lead, um, come and talk to us. Come and talk to us. Um, not everybody desires that. And we understand that. Some of you say, I love doing this. I love this role or this role. I love being behind the scenes. Then that's exactly what you need to do. And we want to help you find a way to do that. But some of you, God has stirred in you a desire to lead. Some of you have led in the past and you've taken a season of rest. And now it's time for you to get back in the game and lead. Our church cannot become what God longs for us to be without leaders, both men and women 
all across the landscape of who we are at CCC. And so if you have an interest, a curiosity, a tug, come and have a conversation with us because we'd love to talk about how God could use you to make things happen and move things forward here at CCC. I want to invite you to bow your heads, and as we do, um, if God's tapped on your heart about an area to grow, an area to change, um, just want to invite you to take a moment and talk to him about that. God, as we talked about this area of leadership, um, I absolutely echo what Bob said earlier. Um, I do not feel adequate for the challenge ahead. And yet, God, you have um, called us and invited us, myself, our staff, our elders, our ministry leaders, to be a part of what you're doing here, Lord, and to step to the front and lead. And so, God, I pray, first of all, as I pray to just protection for all of them. God, when sin shows up in our life, help us to deal with it and not ignore it. When struggles are there, help us not face them alone. Um, and give us the courage that's needed to lead. Lord, for those that you've given a nudge to and said, I've given you these gifts. I've given you this desire. You are good at this. I want you to be a part of what God's doing here. I just pray that you would help them take that step forward and just say, God, I, I want to be a part of this in some way. And Lord, for others that say, you know, I'm, I'm very content where I'm at, um, or I, I know there's a place for me to serve, we all might look at our character and our life and say, God, be at work in us. Be at work in us. Help us, God, to continue to be men and women and students of character and of faith so that the light that Jesus Christ has placed inside of us can be seen as we have this amazing privilege to impact the world that we live. Help us to do that, God. We can't do that on our own.